Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and the turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I'd say I'm at the stage of my backseat career where I have expertise and you should really listen to me. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. But Ben, it's been 28 years and I'm still not listening to you. Mm. I don't have a clever retort. Oh, <laughs> no. You really got me. You really <laughs> razzed me. <I> <laughs> All right. And you, lovely listener, are here with us in the driver's seat, setting goals, developing careers, and always on a journey of self-discovery. We're switching it up. Today we have two quotes. The first one is by Bruce Lee. A goal is not always meant to be reached. It often serves simply as something to aim at. Our second quote is a little bit older. It's from Michelangelo. The great danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. This week, we're coming full circle on the whole person model with goals and the career development cycle. If you remember from last week, we covered personal style, family, and values, and we actually started drifting into goals by the end of the episode, so I'm excited to actually talk about it this week. Kim, what does the model mean by goals? Anything specific? I don't know that the model has anything specific in regards to goals, but I can think of several things related to goals that are important. Setting goals is linked with self-confidence, motivation, and autonomy, science and research done by Locke and Lathan in 2006. A later study in 2015 by Gail Matthews showed that when people wrote down their goals, they were 33% more successful in achieving them. So if you've listened to all of last season, I'm always talking about write things down. You remember better that way. Externalize it. Look at this. Science. It shows that it works. There are different types of goals. I'm sure people have heard of long-term versus short-term goals. They've heard about SMART goals, which is my favorite way of creating goals. So SMART is an acronym. It stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic or Relevant, and Time-Bound. Did we talk about this last season? I think so. I I I vaguely remember. I, I vaguely remember it. To remind people, if we're going to look at a SMART goal and create some type of SMART goal, my favorite is always defaulting to a goal I create for myself, which my one of mine in 2021 was to start moving more in the attempt to get healthier, which is a very abstract goal, right? Move more. What does that mean? It's very hard to achieve that goal and know that I achieved it. So I created a SMART goal. The specific being, I wanted to walk around the pond that's outside my apartment. That's exactly the specific thing I am doing. Measurable, I want to do this at least one time a week. Now, why did I start with only one time a week? Because I recognize what's attainable and realistic for myself. I work a lot, I'm tired, it rains, I don't wanna do it. At least one time a week, I can definitely commit to that. I'm most likely to follow through because I'm willing to commit one time a week, walk around the pond. Solid. 
time bound in that it's one time a week and also that I am choosing to check in with myself every month. Have I done that? So far, I've been very successful. I did learn that walking four times around my pond is a mile. So I'm now walking a mile at least once a week. So that's a smart goal kind of exemplified. You can have short and long-term goals. So the long-term goals being something that's gonna take five, seven years to accomplish, right? Long, long-term. Everyone's always like, what's your five-year plan? Those are your long-term goals. Short-term goals can go as short as, you know, what am I going to do within the next hour to what am I doing within the day, within the week, and within the month. It's really important to recognize that our long-term, our big goals can be broken down into smaller and short-term goals. In order to get a PhD, you have to get through various stages of education. You have to get through the application process. All of that is short-term goals in regards to long-term goals. So, Kim, you, you attained your, your SMART goal from before. Have you tweaked it or extended it or made it into something different now that you've got it down pat? Yes, I have actually upped the, the SMART goal. It's now walking my pond four times, so walking the mile, four laps of my pond at least three times a week. Wow. Um, so you tweaked it a couple of times to get from one time a week to now four times, well, four, four times around four as a laps. mile. Yeah. Yeah. Three times a week. Yeah. Well, so what I realized was it's actually not that hard to get out there. I'm motivated because I keep hijacking my neighbor's dog to take her for walks. So that's an extra motivation that I use because she's very cute and she loves going for walks. The dog, not the neighbor. Most dogs love walks. Yes, absolutely. That's their goal in life. So this is this is cool. So you created a smart goal, you achieved it, then set newer goals with greater distance and began achieving those as well. This is all part of emotional resiliency. And if you remember that from season one, setting and completing goals helps you become more emotionally resilient, which is great when stress hits you like a pandemic and having to be locked in your house for a year. Emotional resiliency becomes an important aspect. So excellent. Yeah. Thanks for the to example. To be clear, walking did not create emotional resiliency. I have still been a complete and utter chaotic wreck wow. in regards to the pandemic. Just think how much more of a wreck you would have been had Fair you points. not created some of this emotional resiliency. And I think it's also important to recognize that I stopped and analyzed what's making it easier for me to go on these walks. Well, the inclusion of a dog or going for a walk with a friend, essentially walking with a purpose is what I found easier to engage with. So I then used that of how do I motivate and use this in the future? So I recognized what's helping me achieve this goal. How do I implement it more often? Part of that was talking with my neighbor. Is there talking with my neighbor? Is there a schedule that I can just default to? I'll take your dog for walks and I'll let you know if I can't. Yeah, lowering the barrier to entry. Right. Where it's just e it's easier to do the thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. making it as easy as possible, so that when you when it's a little bit rainy, there's less things in your you know. It's well, so easy to come up with reasons to not go for a walk. Right. Well, and Ben, if I remember correctly, you got your dog like almost in winter, Ugh. right? 
And you were like, I figure if I can walk my dog in winter, I deserve to own her because I'm proving that I will go and do anything. That does sound like something stupid, I would say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. We had this conversation. And you also were smart in picking a small goal to start and then scaling it up. I think that is really challenging for a lot of people because, you know, we overestimate ourselves. We want to say, I can walk a mile and just go out and do it. And then, I mean, this is the classic, classic, classic signing up for gym memberships at the beginning of the year type scenario, right? You, you're, you're making a goal, you're going to do it. But then after a month or two, your, your willpower fizzles out and you haven't created enough of a habit to do it or many, 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 many reasons. Or after the first road bump, right? So that first time where something came up and you didn't make it to the gym now, all of a sudden, well, well, what's the point? It's that all or nothing thinking. It's all gone. We love to do it. I do it all the time. And I recognize that about myself a while ago, which is why I started creating these smaller, almost like impossible to fail at goals, like Mm. walk around your pond one lap, one time a week. All Right. right. I do that practically when I go get my mail. So this is now just choosing to walk to get my mail instead of, you know, picking it up on my way out. Do you have any advice for people who struggle to set a small enough goal like that? Here's another way of asking a similar question. Would you, and and Don, feel free to answer as well. Would you consider asking other people like friends or family to help you set these kinds of goals as a sort of external evaluation? Because we tend to overestimate our own abilities, having somebody that you love and trust say, maybe you should start with just one time around the lake instead of four times, that kind of thing. I think that's a great place if you have that resource, if you have someone who knows you well enough and is willing to sit down and be like, "Mm, dude, I'm not trying to bust your bubble, but let's be honest. Also, just the accountability of someone knowing that you're working towards a goal. You know, our whole family works out a fair amount and I have consistently struggled with it because I don't have anyone holding me accountable. Spooky just looks at me and is like, don't get up. Let me snuggle you longer, which is not helpful. So unfortunately I have to pay for my accountability and I now have a personal trainer. That's a good way to do it though. Right. I'm now super accountable. There's a human who texts me and is like, yo, we still on for Friday at 10. And then there's also a paycheck that goes, you've paid X amount of money to this person. Solid. So, you know, yes, having someone who is there to pull you back in, you know, walking three miles in a, uh, a day, if you've never walked that far, not a goal to make for yourself. I ran into that with one of my friends. We were going to start walking together in the new year. He casually walks three to five miles and I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> that, too, that's too many. <laughs> not unless you're going to carry me too right. many miles. Uh, he's also significantly taller than me. So his stride step is much faster. It's like me running three miles. It's not fun. But well, so then let's talk about failure because that's, that's a thing, right? That's one I of the things that gets in the way. talk about doing things poorly first. Walking less than four laps around your pond, I, I wouldn't say is walking poorly. It's just walking less. That's why I went to the, the small to big goal thing. Fair. Yeah. But maybe you're walking poorly. I don't know. Are you limping? Are you sort of got like a got like a duck waddle going on? I mean, pigeon toed. I'm a little little knock kneed, but I mean, my feet stick basically straight out to the sides. 
All right, penguin. At like a like a forty five degree. We were so in marching like, band for too like long. Like Charlie then. Chaplin, huh? Well, so to backtrack on that, I suppose there is a thing going around the internet about anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. The concept being that just engaging in it is more than not engaging it at, in it at all. Brushing mm. your teeth for 30 seconds is better than not brushing your teeth at all. The ideal being two minutes, which is a lot of brushing your teeth. I, I don't have, I don't do that. No, I do. But so, and this, this is important about it's worth doing poorly. It's worth at least attempting and learning through iteration. That's a really important part of setting and achieving goals. A lot of people feel like if they set a goal and they don't hit the goal the first time they try, that they've failed. And that's not really failure, right? That, that's just not hitting your goal. It's All right, so now let's talk about failure. It's only failure when you stop trying, when you stop learning, when you stop engaging in the behavior that you want to achieve. Now, excuse me, what is mm -hmm. this concept of trying you speak of? Either you do it or you do not. Thank you, Yoda. But you can do it and not do it well enough. Ah, but you still it did it. You didn't try anything. You did it. How about attempt? How about version? How about iteration? Iteration. We agreed on iteration. I, I have a huge vocabulary. I, I can add do. lots more words to describe this. I just but listen to a lot of teenagers go, oh, yeah, I'll try. And it doesn't mean anything. We've, the, we've worn out the use of the word try as an excuse to not do it. And, and, and that's the, actually a point. Yeah. Uh, the, and the, really, the important part is failing. In this case, obviously success is great. Everybody wants to succeed, especially when we're talking about setting goals. But the important part when we're talking about trying or iterations or approximations, any of that, what we're really talking about is failure. Mm -hmm. And failure is important to learning. Failure is important to setting new and different goals, to adjusting your goals so that you can succeed and to growth. I mean, I... I think a lot about failure in the context of weightlifting, which I got into a few years ago with a good friend of mine and had never done it before. And I was honestly very skeptical. I, I felt like it was a very, I don't know, silly thing to do to pick up heavy things and put them back down again. That's my I, favorite form of working out. Well, now it's my favorite form of working out, but it wasn't at the time I was going basically sarcastically to be like, Ugh, anybody can do this. Anybody could pick this thing up and put it down. It's not that big a deal. And what's interesting in weightlifting is like there is no clearer example of failure than attempting to pick up some hundred pounds and dropping it and just not being <laughs> able to do it hopefully without hurting yourself that's that's really failing but but your your body does that in a way that's very different than how your mind does and you go to attempt a thing that you think you can do and your body says i cannot as kim said there is no try <laughs> it just doesn't do it and you have to quickly learn to accept that and move on and there's days where you get in the gym and you're not picking up as much as you, you were last week or the previous day. And there's lots of reasons for that, but you have to learn to accept those things as learning experiences and as steps along the path to ultimately 
in this case, getting stronger. And that has really taught me that type of failure, that sort of all or nothing, like has nothing to do. I mean, it has something to do with your mindset, but has more to do with just your body doing what it's doing has taught me so much about failing in other things and not finding it so disastrous. Like it's okay. Tomorrow I will do this thing again and maybe I'll do it better. Maybe I'll do it worse, but I'll continue to engage with it, continue to iterate on it, continue to try, if you will, with the hope that, you know, resetting these goals, changing my expectations and continuing that process will lead me where I'm trying to go. And it also sounds like it's helping you with mindfulness over what your body is feeling that day. So last week you picked up X number of pounds. This time when you went to do it, your body wasn't quite in the right frame to do it. And you were mindful of that rather than Mm -hmm. trying to push through that and injure yourself. Yeah. And there's also when you're at like the point of failure in weightlifting, like your body's not going to do it. I think it's a very educational place to be. And if it's something you've ever considered trying, I encourage you to try it because there's really nothing, nothing like getting to that point of failure in weightlifting. I feel like you learn a lot about yourself and, and your body and it, yeah, it increases mindfulness because it has to. So if you decide to go do weightlifting, please have a spotter or someone who has been doing it before and can help you with form. It's really easy to get hurt. That's also true. (laughs) Be careful. Be very careful. My last point about goals is something we've said several times, but it's really important. The idea of setting a goal and engaging in iterations, recognizing you're not going to get it right the first time. It's not going to be perfect the first time, and that's okay. That's part of the process. One of the things that blocks people so frequently is that they think they have to get it perfect the first time out of the box, and that's just not true. It's okay. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Right, Kim? Yes. I'm thinking about me playing ukulele right now, actually. Oh, all right. Because I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> you heard me play Happy Birthday that one time. When was that, that was me. I definitely heard you. Oh, maybe you didn't. Just <laughs> I thinking. don't think I did. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> but you're practicing. You haven't given up, right? I have not given up. However, I don't practice as much as I want to because I have that sense of I should already know how to play this. Mm. I've played music before. I've never played a stringed instrument before, but that doesn't matter. My brain is doing the trick and I have to push through it and be like, listen, I know I can do this. I have to be willing to step up to it. So maybe that brings up one other part and that's discipline, setting a schedule and keeping the schedule uh, Mm. in order to get better at what you want to do. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a good point. It takes... All this goal setting stuff is great, but if you don't bring any discipline to it, ain't going to work out for you. Sorry to say, you're going to need that. That's, that's just a basic ingress, like salt. But, but you're going to have to have it. I wrote it down and they said I'm 33% more likely to get it if I just write it down. Write <laughs> don't it say down, anything about discipline. Tape it to your mirror. Make sure you look at it. Uh, if you don't look at it, you definitely won't do it. Uh, I how have do you, that written somewhere. How do you build discipline then that's a toughie that's the million dollar question i have so many people ask me that 
I think this gets into a lot of stuff. This gets into childhood. This gets into personality type. This gets into all kinds of things. It also gets into habit and how you view yourself. And since this is the arc where we're talking about self-discovery and self-appreciation and recognizing ourselves, lots of people have discipline when they have an external force. So if they have a meeting, they show up on time. If they have to deliver something, they get it done and they deliver it. Lots of people have that part down pat. What happens, though, is when the goal is about self, they discount the importance of that same scheduling, that same commitment to meeting an appointment or meeting a deadline. And it's because it's for themselves rather than for someone else. Make that commitment to self just as important as the commitments that you make to others. And then schedule it. If you don't put it in your schedule, if it's not part of what you're going to do that day, you won't get it done. That's part of the make it visible. So you wrote your goal down. Great. Now, where is it? Is it in a journal that you'll never open again? Is it on your computer, on a Word document that you closed and never looked at? Or is it somewhere where you're really going to look at it every day? You know, I have two goals written on my mirror right now in my bathroom, and I have a habit tracker on my fridge. These are all places that I am most definitely going to see at least one time in my day. So those are ways to learn and incorporate discipline into your life. At some point, you do have to choose to follow through on it, right? Seeing it is one thing. Many people can see the alert and ignore it. You do have to choose to follow through. And that that's on you. You Sorry. have to find that in yourself, that you're worthy enough to follow through on this goal because it's important in regards to your physical health or it's important in regards to your mental health. You are important and you have to choose that. Well said. Mm. All right, let's shift over to uh, the other part of this last bit of the, the model. The career development cycle, what is going on here? I mean, it seems kind of self-explanatory, but walk me through it. All right. So we all know about child development, and we have an expectation about how kids develop over time, when they're going to learn how to speak, when they're going to learn how to walk, all of when these different gills, things. When they grow gills, yeah. When, yes, yes. You grew gills. That's why you have such a big beard is to hide them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Rude. The career developmental cycle is an anticipated progression of your career. It's, it, we know how people tend to be based on age and about what's going on. For our intents and purposes, the first step in this is the transition from high school, either to college or to work. So there's a decision point there. And if any of you have ever played the game of life, that decision point is right there in the game of life. Are you going to go to work and make money immediately? Or are you going to go to college and make more money later on? And then the second one would be from college to job because your high school guy that went to work is already there. You missed so, the lose a significant portion of money in order to get the education with the hopes of earning money later on. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yes. There is no guarantee. There is no guarantee. It depends a lot on what you do with that college. So whichever path of that you, you chose, once you're at work, the first phase of that particular part of the developmental cycle is around developing competence feeling like I actually know the work that I'm doing. 
And generally, this is occurring somewhere in your 20s. You're developing that sense of competence. And around your 30s, from 30 to 35, there's an assessment, right? Am I on the right path? And at this point, some people start over in their career. They go, oh, nope, this isn't right. And they begin something else. Then they, again, develop competence and crank along for a little while. And then there's that midlife transition that kicks in somewhere around 40 to 45. (laughs) It's happening a little later these days because folks are going not only to college, but also to graduate school before entering the workforce. So this midlife transition is around now what? I'm competent at what I do. What else can I do with this? How else will I express myself in my life? And these changes here are often driven by values, sometimes values that you had to set aside for a while. And now you have the time or the energy or the resources to engage in again. These would be like the values that we talked about in in the previous episode. Correct. Same kinds of things that we we were reflecting on as we went through this model. So this is a nice reference point kind of cross model. Yes, absolutely. Or it may be things that you set aside. So before you two were born, I did a lot of woodworking and made wooden toys and I made furniture and other kinds of things. And when you guys were born, you were too fascinating. So I set aside woodworking to pay attention to you and engage in life making, which was a lot more fun. And I hope to return to woodworking now as I'm approaching retirement. So that's kind of how like a goal or a value can get set aside in favor of other aspects of your life only to be brought back. Um, so then in your 50s, there's another assessment that happens. You know, this is a, a questioning time about the path you've already taken and what you'd like to do next and whether or not you're making an impact in the world. Like, has my life, has all of this work that I've done made much of a difference to anyone? So I had this 50s existential crisis yesterday. Oh, tell yeah. me about it. Of just questioning the path that I'm on. Am I doing the right thing? What's going to happen in my career? It doesn't help that I was watching National Geographic about sharks and I was like, I could have been a marine scientist. Which I feel like we've solidly established on this show that you could not. I know. But what if? <laughs> but what if? I want to go play what with if, the sharks. What if I were a different person? <laughs> well, so, you know, it's how, good to know that I still question myself. How different, Don? You listed some ages, like in your 40s the initial now what question. Mm -hmm. And then again, in your fifties, it's not too different. I mean, are you just kind of expecting to have this kind of evaluation roughly every decade? It does happen roughly every decade, but the difference right in this one is around meaningfulness. Will my life, my work have had an impact that lasts longer than I have? All right. This is the legacy question, right? And this Mm. is the beginning of legacy thought is in the 50s. You still have some... It's not too late. It is not too late. (laughs) Um, If you've ever seen uh, A Christmas Carol, that's all about it's never too late, right? It's never... Scrooge turns it all around in a single night. But this is about the legacy question. Has my life meant anything? And that transitions also up into the 60s. And how we do in the 60s, which is the pre-retirement, 60 to 70, how we do in this period really has a lot to do with the decisions that we've made so far. 
There's still time to make adjustments, but there's not as much time. You can even start new things. Remember, Grandma Moses only began painting in earnest at 78. Who is Grandma Moses? Look her up. She's a folk artist. Her uh, paintings hang in the White House. She was she made a huge impact on the art world. Starting painting at 78. Now, she didn't actually start. She It was a dream from childhood. She's drawn all of her life. But she finally had time to engage in really doing art. And it made a huge difference for her and for lots of other people. And she engaged in art for, I think it was almost 15 years, producing an incredible amount of art in the world. I just learned about a woman who became a pastor at the age of 81. Yeah. So she became a pastor at the age of 81 and served for 10 more years before retiring. Retiring a second time. She had been a school teacher before that and principal. So... There's lots of life to live and lots of times to make decisions. And there's this typical arc that goes from about age 20 to about age 70. That is what we understand as the career developmental cycle. All right. That makes sense to me. Kim, you got anything to add? I feel like I go through this entire career developmental cycle every weekend. Every day? Sure. At least every weekend. I mean, that's, that's part of being a millennial, right? Uh, yeah, I just continuously have these existential crises about like, what am I doing? What does it mean? Do I mean anything? Yeah. You just need to call me. I'll remind you. I have this conversation with Sarah occasionally. And I don't, I don't think that she finds this reassuring in the way that I do. But sometimes I think about what do we mean? What is legacy? What is work? Why do we work? Why do we do anything? And I, I find it, this is comforting to me, but I think I'm weird in this regard. I find it extremely comforting to think about humans just doing what they do for like thousands of years and just that there are millions, billions of humans who we've like don't know anything about, aren't famous, just lived their lives, did their thing, had fine lives or maybe had bad lives. And like, that's it. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. That's also life. And that gives me comfort in a weird way, in a sort of nihilistic way. But I don't feel negative about it. I feel positive about it. And they may have still had a mark in the community in which they lived, in the family in which they lived. But we don't have to know about it. Right. That like, you could live an entirely fulfilling, joyous, beautiful life worth celebrating and have a family and have an impact. Or even if you don't have a family, you could have friends. You could do all the things you want to do and have a great life. And it not, I'm going to use air quotes here, mean anything to someone else. That's correct. And because like, it, it doesn't matter in that way. That's right. You don't need to mean something to everyone or even to a lot of people if you have a life that you love and enjoy. That's or right. Or a life where you're, tr- you know, just doing what you're doing. So you come down <laughs> to an is. important part. Meaningfulness is in the eye of the individual, not in the eye of society. I thought that was beauty. We have a lot of things in our eyes nowadays. Well, because it's from our point of view. You know, it really is the from window. our point of view. It's the, the eyes, the window. To the soul. 
but right. we have so many things right. on our window. How do we see our souls? Well, it's really important. And we'll be talking to an individual in our next arc who will tell you about how dirty your mirror is. It and just how cleaned that ref- mine. <laughs> Literally uh, this weekend. We'll talk about that more. This is all about the soul and about communication with children. Okay, Ooh. so now what? So what do if we you, do? What do we do with this career development cycle? If Help. you've looked at the graphic, you'll notice that it's a series of eight arrows that point around in a circle. And the reason that is, is because this is an iterative process. Some of the points are fixed, like your abilities or your career developmental cycle. That's that you know that's kind of understood about where you are. I can't go back to my twenties anymore. So some of them are fixed. Others of them change over time. So you need to pay attention to how they've changed over time, and it's important to tweak the direction of your life as you go along, to make adjustments and incorporate new things that happen in the world. When I started in college, the desktop computer was nascent. There was the Apple. wasn't even an Apple II or an Apple GS or anything else. It's just an Apple. The original computers out there. And they had floppy disks. That was the memory. It was amazing. The actual floppy ones. The actual floppy ones, yeah. But that was an incorporation of a new event. Because before that, I used a, a typewriter, carbon paper, and whiteout to deal and make my papers for high school and college. So I got my first real computer when I started in graduate school. So you have to tweak your life over time and incorporate the new developments that happen. The goal of all of this is to continue to create a life worth celebrating by being mindful and intentional about the decisions you make regarding your life and your career. And your work is only one part of that. As you were pointing out, Ben, there are lots of folks who have very meaningful lives whose work is very simple. It may be, I hate to say farming is simple. Farming is not simple. It's pretty complex. And they they have to understand a lot about chemistry and biology and all the rest of this stuff. But it's simple in the sense that you follow the weather, you follow the earth, you follow growth, and it has I mean, seasons to it. It's psychology is simple. You talk to people. Anything is simple at a certain level and anything is complex at another level. So, yeah, the point there, I think, is really more there's more to your life than your career. Or in my opinion, at least, there should be more to your life than your career. There should be other elements because like we've talked about before, if you are dedicating everything to one thing and you are out of balance, then you probably lack mindfulness and you're not likely to have a, a life worth celebrating. Yes, that's it. And it's about rediscovering the self. Yes, Kim. I also think talking about the simplicity and complexity of things is a good reminder of, you know, you're doing more than you realize, right? Psychology Mm -hmm. seems simple because I sit down and I listen to people, but I also sometimes forget how complex that is and that there are a lot of skills and things that I've learned over the years that I don't think about that anymore. I just think about how am I listening to this person? How am I helping them shape and understand what's happening for them? So recognizing that your life is actually much more complex in some ways, it's just become simple to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or as Oma pointed out when she first visited my first therapy office, 
And she sat down on the couch and she looked around and she goes, so you get paid to sit in a living room and talk to people all day long. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I said, great. yep, Omaha, that's what I do. <laughs> and then take a nap on your couch during lunch. Duh. Oh, that only happened in my 50s. Come on. Okay. Well, oh, so I'm in sleepy. my 20s and I still take a nap on my couch during lunch. So yeah. you're smarter than I was. I also am probably sleepier. Okay, that wraps up the whole person model. Don't forget, you can see the visual for the model in the link in our show notes. And if you want more information about the whole person model, you can read Don't Waste Your Talent by Hutchison and McDonald. This also concludes our first arc of season two, exploring the relationship to self and self-discovery. If you have questions, thoughts, or any reflections you'd like to share, feel free to reach out in our Facebook group. Next week, we're starting our second arc, which will focus on parent-child relationships. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening, and as always, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.